Greetings, programs, and welcome to another edition of the Awesome Friday Podcast, coming to you on a Sunday, because Friday is a state of mind and not a place of time. My name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon, who I have successfully made to laugh. How are you today, Simon? Every time. Every time. I do enjoy your intro gets more Texas every week. <laughs> it's a state of mind. It gets more, um, uh, what's his face, Ashton Kutcher in that movie we saw last week. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, is, Friday, Friday is a state of mind. Yeah, um, yeah. We're just I'm, leaving I'm... artifacts of ourselves behind for people <laughs> to find Whoa. and build a construct of the emotional state that we may have been in at the time. I, I had no idea your Texas accent was so solid. Congratulations! Yeah, I have no idea if that's true, uh, and I refuse to comment either way. Well, you in the same way that I never do a, a British accent, I try not to do British accents in front of you. I try not to do any any regional accent Twice. in front of a person who is from that region. But you will do your Boston accent in front of literally anyone. I've uh, been there when when you and was it you and Robin Will were basically having a Boston off for a long time over brunch. That was fun. Yeah, I mean that happens a lot less frequently now that I'm sober, but. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm yeah. fine. I'm dying of heat. We're in the heat wave. Uh, yes, global, Vancouver global, gripped global in the clutches. Gripped in the clutches of a second heat wave. Maybe not as bad as last year, but debatably worse because it feels more, I think you pointed <sighs> so out, it feels more humid. Yeah. Um, but also, we here in the, you know, we're from the tropics of Canada, man. Like, we're used to like 25 and, and dry, and it's 32 and humid right now. So it's absolute garbage. I hate it. <laughs> I yeah. hate extreme heat and I hate extreme cold. Do you ever um, just look back at like your I mean, I don't know what it was like in Britain, but my like whole like elementary school and high school experience was talking about how like climate change was a thing and we needed to do something about it. And then like looking back now and realizing those fucking corporations were just offloading all the responsibility onto we the consumers who could never have a meaningful effect. And they just didn't do anything about it. And now we're fucked. Anyway, uh, but, re but remember, this... uh, reuse your plastic bags and recycle your tins because that makes a difference. Not the 10 corporations that are responsible for 70% of the world's emissions. Uh, it's yeah. all complete distraction. And I studied um, when I was teaching English really, really early on. We used um, Al Gore's um, environmental movie. What was that called? Oh, my God, my brain. Uh, is an Inconvenient Truth. We used an inconvenient truth a lot, and we um, we looked at lots of reports about his reporting as well. And some reports were saying, "Oh no, it's it's, it's just uh, over the top," and da da da. Turns out, all of his predictions now, if you look at the graphs, so there's a big section where he's like, "Let's predict where this graph is going to go." They are now conservative elements of where we are right now. Like we are yeah. so far beyond the worst thing that he could think of. It's ridiculous. So, and and I just get the feeling now that I, there's no way back. Like we are, we are past the point of return, and we're not only past it; we're accelerating past it because of all these short-sighted fossil fuel companies and, and petrol companies and la la la. Yeah, it turns out it, that capitalism was a mistake. Who knew, eh? Who knew? Yeah. I, anyway, I so. That <laughs> It was always good to start the podcast on a, wonderful, on a Sunday morning with uh, five solid minutes of doomsaying. Um, yes. But we're in the middle of a heat wave, so that's what's going to happen. Sure is. I'm dying. 
but no. Let's talk about two movies. I went to the cinema this week, and it was nice to sit in the aircon to watch one of the movies we're going to talk about. So that's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, cinema air conditioning is good. Although it feels weirdly, it's it feels like they haven't been turning it up as much lately. But I've only been to the cinema like three times in the past couple of months. So. You know what? I I absolutely get that. I was expecting to be frozen, and I was just mildly chilled. And <laughs> I I wonder if it's because it's so hot outside. You just want to be like Costco. The Costco ice room at the back of Costco is where I want every room to be right now. And I went um, on the way back from Jericho. We spent the whole evening on the beach, and at about ten o'clock last night, I ran into Savon to get some bagels, and they were their aircon was set to like unbelievable ridiculous like arctic polar bear weather and it was glorious it was amazing and then i had to walk back into the pizza oven afterwards uh, so uh, what what do we why do... yeah <laughs> still, still switching about the heat. oh the cinema the cinema okay so you're yeah. right the aircon the aircon in cinemas has definitely uh dug down a little bit i think but the but the movie was good well that's good uh well we're going to talk about two movies this week as we are want to do um one, <laughs> i i just enjoy that when i say things you laugh uh it's like i i try and key my delivery to to make you laugh and it works every time and it makes me I, feel good on the inside i just really enjoy that you've embraced the true traditional english instead of the modern crap that is used <laughs> these days um, I, I, it's, well, it's we're about to watch. We're about to watch a film that uh, totally slaps, and <laughs> dude, that's totally lit, bro. Yeah, oh, that's you a... know, the second film that we're going to talk about uses a lot of this new language, and let me tell you, that was it's meant to make your teeth grind, and it really succeeded. Really, really yeah. succeeded. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves now, so let's uh, let's talk about our <laughs> let's talk about our first film, which okay. it came out last week. So we're we're a week late to the party, technically, on Jordan Peele's latest effort, Nope, uh, which I have to say is maybe the most confident movie title of the year, um, <laughs> uh, in a good way, I think. Um, which is the story of uh, uh, a family who owns a. Uh, horse ranch and they use their basically their horses are used in films and they're falling on hard times and then there's a ufo in the clouds above them and that's pretty much the whole setup for the movie if you have seen the trailer you know what i'm talking about and i liked this movie a bit, quite a bit actually uh, how did you like it simon so, well, first of all, I wonder if it holds the record for the film that says its title the most times during the film. I would like to know the stats on that. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think they only say nope a, couple, a few times, but every time they do, it's so effectively deployed <laughs> that, uh, that it's like... I mean, if you've watched horror movies and you've and you've been in a moment where someone's about to do something and you're like, oh, you should just, no, don't do it, bro. Don't, no, don't come out from behind the door. And then in this movie... Mm-hmm. A number of times, a character looks yeah, to do something and goes, "Nope, nope, nope," <laughs> and it's it's pretty perfectly deployed every time. To answer your question, did I like this movie? Uh, I think there were parts of it that were potentially parts of better movies rolled into a movie that didn't quite land for me. If that makes sense, that this this is a, a movie that has an, uh, quite a 
big U-turn sort of three quarters of the way through. And um, John, John Pills movies are interesting. I absolutely love Get Out and I adored us. So already I think there's expectations here that I'm, I'm going in wanting it to be like that. And we know he loves classic Twilight Zone and his movies now, all three of them, have the classic Twilight Zone like triangle of setup, um, revelation, resol- resolution. And mm-hmm. with Get Out and Us, I found that that setup revelation just so satisfying and the conclusion, like the, the resolution of that revelation in both of those movies is really, really satisfying. Even though uh, I, I I think maybe the end of Get Out maybe lost a, a little bit of steam. I love the ending of Us. That's one of my absolute favorite final, like 15 seconds of cinema from that year, where if you remember when the, the camera pans back over Les Fleurs and mm-hmm. everyone's free over the hills, like it's just wonderful. And when you know, like when you have the twist. This movie, I think, went for the same thing of setup, revelation, re- resolution, and I don't think it worked as well. I don't think where it went uh, was a good resolution for how it began. It's really difficult to talk about this without spoiling it because the trailer sells it as as a an alien horror movie. Uh, well, I mean, it, it is that, and it is that, <laughs> it is that, it is that until it kind of isn't, and I don't. There's a there's a decision made at one point where it becomes pretty fundamentally a different movie, and it's I I do kind of enjoy that as a separate thing, but I don't think together it worked as well for me as it did for you. Mm. Um, Kiki, Kiki Palmer though I've, I've no idea who Kiki Palmer was and she was amazing and Stephen Young is incredible and I like um, uh, I like the Daniel uh, Kalu- Kalu- Kaluuya Kaluuya, Kaluuya I, like him a lot. Yeah. I like him a lot I think he's a very interesting performer so there's a lot to like here and, I, and, and Jordan Peele can just shoot and frame the shit out of things like really nicely shot and edited but the combination of the the story factors didn't work for me yeah it's interesting the movie seems to be quite divisive and uh i i liked it i liked it a lot i liked i think my favorite thing about it is that i saw this on the day after opening day so that's uh, at the time we're recording this that's a full week ago and i've thought about this movie literally every day since and uh, i think that's only raised my estimation of it um, cause there's a lot to think about. There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that I can't say because it's all spoilers. <laughs> um, this is a difficult movie to talk about without spoilers, uh, it is. which yeah. I know we're repeating ourselves here, but there's a, you're right that there's sort of a fundamental shift at about the two thirds or three quarter mark of the film that sort mm. of changes your understanding of what exactly is going on. Um, I sort of get... I, I totally get there's um a number of flashbacks in the film <clears throat> that are about a secondary character that lend a ton of weight and context to a decision that that character makes has made through the film um, and I can I totally get uh, 
that I totally get everyone who says that it doesn't quite hang together. I, I, I get it. I get it. But for, for me, it worked, uh, especially since those flashbacks, which involve basically they're a flashback to um, a main character when he was a child, was a child actor on the set of a sitcom that had a chimpanzee and the chimpanzee goes nuts. And those sequences are the scariest thing in the whole movie. Like oh, most of the far. movies, not really scary, no, but the scenes sure. between the child and the chimp, who is a motion captured uh, by Terry Notary, um, uh, those scenes are terrifying. Like just, yeah. and apparently inspired by a nightmare that Jordan Peele had, <laughs> which is, yeah. I just, I don't want to ever have that person's nightmares. <laughs> it was awful. The, um, um... But what I think, you know, if. What am I trying to say? It, I, I sort of get how it doesn't hang together. I sort of get that it's either going to work for you or it's not. Um, but I think this is definitely a film that, regardless of what anyone else thinks, you should see and decide for yourself. There's so much going on in the movie that you're either going to really connect with it, or I don't know anyone who's just been like, "It's fine." <laughs> you know, like you're either you're either like that was incredible. I have so much to think about, or what the fuck was any of that? And there's no middle ground. See, and I, I sort of love I'm, that about it. I'm, I'm kind of the fine person, though, but that feels off for me because Get Out, like, I immediately bought on Blu-ray as soon as I saw it because I knew I wanted to watch that over and over and over. And Us is quite a different movie from Get Out, and it has its own issues, but it's, it's a really uh, well-put-together thriller. And I came out of Nope thinking, and I'm the opposite to you. I saw it on Tuesday and I haven't really thought about it since, apart from putting my ideas together for the podcast. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't capture my imagination like his last two movies did. And I, it didn't give me that sense of satisfaction. And it wants to end on a satisfying note. Like it wants to end on this someone achieving what they wanted let's say and th there's many there's a metaphor in here about people finding spectacle and, and people um uh misreading things and trying to be uh the first to be the, the it's actually um, of the spectacle so it's actually pretty interesting how well thematically these two movies go together that we're talking about today yeah, when you think about really, it. yeah totally they really really do they really do um, uh, so I, I think he's a Peel's an incredibly interesting filmmaker, um, and every time he makes something, I'm really excited to watch it and rewatch it. And I just didn't feel that. I came out of Nope thinking oh, I don't, I don't ever need to see that again. I don't need to watch that again. And it, um, I, I wasn't expecting that because out of all, out of all my reactions, I was expecting to be intrigued. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it tells you too much. Because by the end of the movie, you know everything. You know everything. You know what's going on. And you have, uh, again, a, a last quarter of this movie that changes the focus on what's going on. And there's no mystery to kind of think about. Like in Get Out, you've got the whole, that, that mystery of... Um, how long it's been happening for. And that, that scene with a uh, brilliant Lakeith Stanfield uh, sort of flicking in and out and that, which is a terrifying moment in itself. And then in, in us, you've got that very creepy idea of this underground network. And by the end of no point, like, well, there's nothing like, okay, 
maybe that's the thing. The mystery was completely revealed and uh, it didn't really leave me with anything more to think about. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, yes, like the overreaching... I guess my thing is that I'm not entirely sure that the overreaching story was necessarily the point. Like the mystery was there to serve the themes of like, cause this movie is really, um, this movie is really about, it's not really about the central mystery. It's really about, to me anyway, it's really about people reacting to like how people are reacting to this central thing that's going on. Not about what exactly is going on. Like it could have been anything. It didn't like, it's a, it's a UFO in the clouds, but it really could have been just about anything and it wouldn't necessarily have changed that much of how the people reacted to it. Um, and I really feel that that's what the movie is about. I really feel like it's about <clears throat> how we react to spectacle, how we react to events in, you know, our modern world. And, mm. and all, it's also a real love letter to filmmaking. And in particular, the sort of uh, what you might call the below the line people who make filmmakers, like like the main characters who are horse wranglers and cinematographers and um, all the people who collaborate and make the movie but get exactly none of the glory are are pretty central in this film. Like all the people who all the technical people, this film really sort of celebrates um, in, in this interesting way, kind of. Uh, indicts one of the performers but that's uh, a whole other spoilery discussion um and there's really interesting there's a lot i think there's a lot to think about there's a whole monologue from daniel kaluuya where he talks about you know what is the opposite of a miracle what's a bad miracle and uh without spoiling it i will just say that like that whole scene in in context with the rest of the movie um i think gives the viewer a lot Give me anyway a lot to think about. Mm, interesting. I, I I don't disagree with anything you're saying. The um, there was only one part of this movie when I came out and I texted you about one very specific framing choice for uh, for a prop that had very that was given special significance that we're not we don't need to go into really. But the I was interested in that decision but the all the other metaphors i thought were quite clear like the the industry that chews people up and spits them out like there's there's not you don't have to go very far to see that parallel and what i really like about peel stuff is that it works on he's always very metaphorical Mm -hmm. and but at the same time visually i absolutely adore his visual work his framing his use of sound his use of sudden cuts there's one cut that actually was the scariest thing of the whole movie for me when um jeep's thinking back to the uh he's having one of his flashbacks going you're right the flashbacks to the the chimp sequence is terrifying 100 percent scarier especially as you're from his as you find out Pretty, pretty soon, so it's not a spoiler, you're from, from his young viewpoint. And so right at the beginning, the chimp locks eyes with you and through the screen, and it's horrible. And there's one part where he's getting ready to deliver his speech, and he's just thought back to 
this the flashbacks and they extend each time we go back we see a bit more and it comes back to him trying to get his himself together which is weird because this thing kind of inspired him <laughs> this terrible thing has given him a platform to be what he is at the moment that's what i love about stephen young I, he can carry all of this without really saying anything and then his his wife comes in and he starts his speech and he says three lines and suddenly it goes blackout noise cuts light cuts and it is so jarring it actually mm-hmm. made me jump it, it actually caused like a panic reaction because it this is the kind of jump scares that i find scary not people jumping out from behind but when you are your expectations of what the film is actually is on a fundamental level is cut and a few filmmakers do this really really well and i think jordan peele is brilliant at that there's there's one other scene as well where he takes his time where um, the main character thinks he sees aliens. It's not really a spoiler to say that. And that whole sequence is done so slowly. And we we talked last week about frantic editing mm-hmm. and like jumping, jump, jump, jumping. And to have a still shot from his viewpoint about what what is that shadow? And like, as audience, you're kind of let, um, we're trained to know that, oh, it's not really aliens. Like it's a shadow of a horse or something. And then mm-hmm. the frame the frame doesn't move and you see what it is and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And it really, really is. And so I love how Jordan Peele, like it's it's so old fashioned Twilight Zone and he's so technically good. A lot of this film is set at night, but you can see everything. Like he, le- he, he um, l- grades and lights the shit out of this. And I think it's just visually fantastic. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, just to carry on from that point, is I think it's really interesting to see where he pulls his inspirations from. Um, There's a ton of, like, visual references to a ton of classic science fiction and horror movies in this, and I'm sure there's more that I missed just because, like, my, you know, headcanon of 70s and 80s stuff is not as complete as maybe it could be. But if if you look at the trailer of this movie and think wow this is jordan peele's close encounters of the third kind just also know that he's pulling from things like jaws and duel as well right he's pulling from lots of classic spielberg lots of classic Mm. 80s stuff Mm. um and he's just remixing it together so so masterfully right like Mm -hmm. filmmaking is effectively remixing at this point right like you're you're using your influences to make and to make a new thing and he's very masterful at it and Mm -hmm. you're right that the the long slow cuts are so effective and he uses them throughout the movie like it's there's just there's one scene where it's just like a flyover of the ranch with a guy on a horse and it's shot from like a thousand feet in the air and it's one of the most effective shots Mm -hmm. in the whole movie and it doesn't like feel the need to cut to a side on shot or a you know a chase shot it just follows him from a thousand feet in the air and it works the whole time mm. and i really wish people i really wish that movies more movies had that level of restraint yeah totally to, to editing that's, that's another spielbergism that he has borrowed as well like there's a couple of moments where he's in a vehicle and something bad is outside of that vehicle and he's trying to be quiet 
and any, another filmmaker would have half the time of that scene and done many more cuts and be lots more like uh, jumps in it. But it, he uses silence so effectively and uh, Daniel Kaluuya is so good, so, so good at acting his way like softly through that silence and then giving yeah. us what we then giving us what we want when he's just like no 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 and the whole like every time he said it the whole place just roared with laughter but not at it like with him because yeah. we're th- we're thinking the same thing yeah there's uh, you're totally thinking of the truck scene right the, yeah, the truck yeah. scene at yeah, night yeah. where yeah. yeah, and it's really it's actually really effective. Like any, you're right. Any other movie in that scene, so he's in a truck. It's at night. There's a rainstorm, and there's a monster outside. And any other, like a uh, uh, a worse made movie would be cutting to the monster or shadows of the monster or something. But that whole scene mm-hmm. exists just with the camera on Daniel Kaluuya's face as you hear stuff happening outside, and it mm. is so much more effective. Yeah, the sound um, design's amazing. That sound design exactly. is incredible, and he really understands the same thing that um, I think Ridley Scott really nails with the first Alien film. In that, the less you see the monster, it's the scarier it actually is. That's right? another Spielbergism as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but that's you know, it's classic. The, I mean, there's a point in this movie where you see everything, but it's late enough that you've already been sufficiently scared by it that it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> And by yeah, the time it you do, it's it? yeah. And by the time you do, it's it's the it's so hard to talk about without spoiling. But by the time okay. you see what what what's actually out there, it's so interesting and different and weirdly beautiful and one. And you're right, wondrous is a good word for it. That it just becomes very effective. Um, I think that this is a, a very confidently made movie, and um a brilliantly acted movie and has given me tons to think about. So I re- I really liked it. And it sounds to me like you liked it, but didn't love it, which I think is a yeah. fair reaction. Absolutely. And no, it's just, I can hear myself talking about all the different parts that I loved, but together it came together in a movie I only liked. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that. Well, what would you give? Um, what would you give this movie out of five? I'm going to give it a I- solid four out of five. This is a three for me, and it's hard because Get Out and Us are fives for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they are for you, but they are, they are, they are fives because of how they made me feel at the end of those movies. And, and maybe it's unfair, you know. He's made his own high bar now, and it's still better. <laughs> like it, this movie is still better than many other movies, similar kinds of movies. Um, and uh, for me, the the uh, the U-turn in style didn't capture me, and uh, it just didn't really come together as a whole. But as a filmmaker, he's still like exquisite. He still gives me lots of good stuff. So it's a three. Yeah, it's a four for me, and it's interesting though because, like, it's a four. It's probably of the three. The three features he's made is probably my least favorite of the three, but it's still one mm-hmm. of the better movies I've seen this year. You know, That's it's uh, it's all relative and it's all subjective and art. <laughs> Yay! You can't see it, but I'm doing a double. I'm doing a double thumbs up right now. There's not many directors though that when the first I remember when the first sort of scuttlebutt about Note came out about him gathering people together and no one knew what it was and what the script was, what the title was. Like 
genuine excitement for like, oh, he's making something. Like, what is he making? Like, what is it now? And and I'm still going to feel that for the next movie. Um, not many directors make me feel like that. The only other director I can think of is George Miller with his um, with Furiosa. Like, I am, I, I time is moving slowly because I need that. Like, I need that now. <laughs> I need. I just need anything from that movie now. Um, but uh, it, it, yeah, he's one of those directors that makes me feel really excited about the art he creates. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to our next film, which um, is interestingly thematically connected to Nope in a number of ways, as I mentioned before. Um, it really is. Yeah. Uh, this movie debuted on Hulu in the United States uh, this past Friday, and uh, it also debuted on Disney Plus here in Canada. Uh, and it is Quinn Shepard's Not Okay, starring Zoe Deutsch. And Simon, why don't you take us through the, the briefest of plot synopses of this film? Well, we planned this, of course, because they're so similar in themes. We didn't just change what we were doing two days ago. Um, so uh, Zoe Deutsch uh, works for um, BuzzFeed, basically, in, yeah. in another name. And she's an aspiring writer, because of course she is. And she speaks in Gen Z um, uh, affectations and hand signals. And basically, uh, her and everyone she works with are these absolute worst stereotypical Gen Z content creators um who make uh lists of uh actors who are in that 80 show what are they doing now that kind of thing and she wrote um it does begin actually with her editor uh explaining why she can't use her story about why she's feeling sad because and that wonderful line i'm gonna mess it up but we don't usually encourage fomo about 9 11 that's the best <laughs> part of the whole that, that's one of the best parts of the whole movie. Uh, that's and the so, first. That's the first line that made me laugh in the movie, <laughs> and it comes about one minute into the movie. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. It's pretty great. So she she is desperate, like so many of people her age. She's desperate to be noticed and famous. And in the in the building is a, a, an influencer called Colin, who played by uh, Team Wolf TV shows Dylan O'Brien uh, as a blonde uh, himbo is the only way to put it and he he is famous for being famous and he speaks in uh, god knows what language he uses um but um he's all i can't do an impression of it because it will just sound terrible a with my age and b with my accent but you can imagine that kind of person vaping all the time and just saying peace to people and all kinds of things and she aspires to be noticed by him she aspires to be anything than what she is right now she just wants to be known and famous so she um she tries to go to paris for a writer's camp because she thinks that she's gonna be uh if she can just go to this writer's camp then she can be a famous writer and then as soon as she discovers that uh the the cost of a ticket to paris is too much um she uses her skills as a photo editor to uh pretend that she's gone to paris basically yeah, for, she, for, she just for the status. It. So she fakes it which is good which is fine until she finds out there's a terrorist attack there's a bombing at the arc de triomphe and everyone starts suddenly her feed is full because people are trying to find out if she's okay because she's been filling up her pictures of photoshops of her being in paris and, and, and in particular it, she posts she posts a doctored photo of herself at the arc tri- the 
de triumph like coincidentally like five minutes before the bomb goes mm-hmm. off it's so in this movie she makes a series of bad choices and her first bad choice is to pretend that she was there because it's suddenly getting her status and people are actually interested in her and want to know if she's okay and so she starts spinning this web um lies upon lies and um she keeps looking for ways to increase now she's starting to get more exposure she wants to increase uh, her sort of outreach so she does terrible things like go to support groups for people who have been through trauma to try and steal some of their information for her articles and here's where she meets uh, rowan a 17 year old school shooting survivor who turns out is this incredibly vocal anti-gun uh, activist who is very very famous on instagram and a brilliant spoken word poet and so she uses <laughs> um rowan's thoughts and attitude to write this article under her own name called uh, uh, I'm Not Okay. And her hashtag of I Am Not Okay goes worldwide and suddenly she's famous. And um, and the rest of the movie is the eventual uh, dealings with that and the fall from grace. Yep. Um, did you like it though? Not really. <laughs> did <you? laughs> I did actually. Yes, um, I wanted I to it... so much. I really wanted to. I lo- like Zoe Dutch is fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit. It's a bit tonally messed up at or mixed up at at points. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Zoe Dutch's character, um, Danny is a super unlikable person but zoe deutsch is perhaps the most adorable person on the planet and (laughs) there's no way to like disguise that so there's times where like and the film even starts with a warning that says like beware the main character is an unlikable female which is just societally a thing we just shouldn't have to need but there it is um but then like there's she's so I mean, obviously her whole arc is going from being a terrible person to trying to be a good person. But she's already so like adorable at the beginning that it's kind of hard to like be like, uh, not sort of be, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You see, um, you have that arc, that arc of her wanting to be a good person, that, that realization comes like five minutes before the end of this film. Like for most of this movie, she is an absolute, now, in my country, we have certain words we can use, but in this country, we can't use certain words. So she is um, she is a horrible person who at no point stops to think about, should I be doing this next thing? She just sees opportunities until the very, very end. And uh, I, I thought a lot about, when I was watching this, I thought a lot about Fight Club, and I thought a lot about King of Comedy, the Robert De Niro movie. Mm-hmm. And why those movies work when you've got a distinctly unlikable person. I think it's the the panic of knowing that you have to keep lying and you're too far in now. Like in Fight Club, it's easier because you've got the split. Tyler Durden has these split um, uh, portrayals. So you've got Jack and you've got Tyler. So you can see the panic and the doubt and you can see the bombast. In The King of Comedy, you, De Niro has that panic and joker tried to copy this really ineffectively but that panic Mm. of i know i know i'm going too far but i've gone too far to stop 
And all I saw was Danny, uh, Zoe Dutch's character, is like, oh, here's an opportunity. Oh, here's another opportunity. For me, it was missing that panic of, I've lied so much I can't stop. Like, this is now an avalanche. And that was a really missing factor for me. Yeah, I would say that that's a fair assessment. For me, I don't think it came right at the very end, but it definitely came late. Like, it definitely yeah. comes, like, it's very much like a third act uh, turn rather than, like, a second act slow arc, right? Like, it's, yeah, exactly. there's a very specific incident toward the end of the second act, I guess the end of the second being of the third, where suddenly she's like, shit, I am a terrible person. Um, but without getting too deep into spoilers, I I like that the film sets up an arc of redemption for her at the end and then doesn't give it to her. I really, I really like that about this movie. I, a lesser film would have had her resolved and happy, and this film holds her accountable for what she's done and and leaves her in exile. And I kind of enjoyed that about it. And it's it's hard, to, like it's kind of a spoiler, but it's what makes the the film interesting and good to me. So it's hard to not say. Um, and in particular, like there's a the you're right that the whole first act. Uh, act and a half or first two acts she's spending time with this other young girl and she starts out strict, strictly being there to like co-opt that young girl's voice and it's a pretty wonderful voice I legitimately um, cannot wait to see more of Mia Isaac because she is so good in this movie um, as Rowan um, and the sort of realization that she's co-opting Rowan's voice comes late uh, and within context of the film, I think it's understandably late. Um, and it's obviously Rowan's influence that makes her start to become a better person. But I really like the resolution of that relationship. Um, I think it's a lesser film would have resolved it more happily. I'm just spoiling the end of this movie. I kind of feel bad about it, but it's, I, I, it's, I, so, I... it's, so, it's so well acted. Uh, and the, th the themes are interesting enough that I don't think it really matters that I'm not, I'm not giving all the details away here just for clarity's sake. Yeah. I don't I, know. It, it, it is definitely one of the movies that when you see it, uh, when you get into the context and she starts lying uh, to sort of cement her previous lies, you know where it's going. You know, you know how this movie's going to go at some point. Um, something's going to fall apart. And yeah, I, I don't think it's a too big a spoiler. The, uh, I I don't think um, Zoe Dutch's character was had the depth of writing that it needed to take her through this journey, and I actually Zoe Dutch did a brilliant job with what she had, but she didn't have enough. It was really really superficial, and there were more opportunities for her to doubt. Just doubt. She didn't need redemption, but she needed moments where she's like, uh, "Should I be doing this? Like, is this?" There's never any of these flashes of of the beads of conscious uh, conscience, I should say, about should I be doing this? Like even in there's a moment in the second act where she's talking to Mia Isaac, and you think actually she's starting to be a bit more honest that she their friendship is growing, and then suddenly she manages to place herself as a presenter for her next big show 
And in her eyes, you can see it's just she's back to manipulation. And Mm -hmm. there's no moment of her thinking, well, now I'm becoming friends with her. Should I still co-opt her? And I I think that was a really big missing element in the way Danny was written. Because everyone else could just be stereotypes. Like Colin is is an awful stereotype who has no arc whatsoever. He's just a complete brain-dead boy who's just full of social media cliches. And everyone else she works with is kind of the same. But what I've loved about Mia Isaac, I mean, Mm -hmm. as an actress, I don't know who she is. She was incredible in this. Like, absolutely incredible. And her influence on Danny, so Rowan's influence on Danny is to start being a bit more authentic because that's the thing about her. She's just herself. She's very authentic. And um, there's a moment, like, when I was talking about where Mia's authenticity starts rubbing off on Danny a bit more, but then she's back to, well, I'll just present with you. And you can see the manipulation, and it was just a missing, uh, a real missing element because there was no point in this movie where I looked at Danny until really close to the end. It may not be the very end, but really, really close, where you start seeing, I'm regretful of these decisions. And it's only because she got found out. Up until that point, she's just full steam ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying exactly, but I think for me, the, the, the point is that she's kind of a broken person, right? That um, she's so steeped in influencer culture and the influencer way of being and living her life that, you know, in that same moment where she's like, maybe I could just be a presenter. Like she's just exploiting Rowan because she understands that's how people exist. Right. Like, I don't think it's, I sort of, I sort of get the choice to not have her be remorseful before that point because she doesn't, that character, that type of character, um, and we've seen this kind of thing play out with influencers and influencers in real life. That like they just don't, she just doesn't understand that it would be bad to do this until after that rally that they're planning on going to. So that doesn't really bother me. It only sort of actually heightens the indictment of influencer culture that this movie mm-hmm. ultimately is. Um, I think I, I obviously liked it more than you did, which is uh, fine. But um, I do think it is kind of divisive. I think, you know, um, I guess it sort of depends on how deep into TikTok and in, and the gram you're going to be. But uh, I I did I I had a good time with this movie, and it's uh, yeah. I, I was I'm actually kind of I'm interested in how much you didn't seem to like it actually because I thought you would. But uh... I, I, so it would have been much better for me if uh, she is a terrible person and she doesn't know she's hurting so many people by doing this. But there is a moment where she and Rome start becoming like genuine friends. And when they, they're talking about Rowan's sister and they're, they're walking along like the, the seafront and they're having what feels like mm-hmm. the first real conversation she's ever had in her life. Like, cause she's not doing her gestures. She's not doing her social media stuff. I would have liked to have seen from that point, more doubt creep into Danny about, I need, I'm not sure I should do this anymore, but I can't stop doing this because now I'm doing it. You know, that's like, holding yeah. on 
by her fingernails. That would have made it better for me because it just didn't happen. She just carries on manipulating. And it's only after the, the, the events at the speech that she starts questioning it. And then we're almost at the end. Yeah. And I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, like, I don't, again, I don't disagree with that take. Um, I, it, it still worked for me, but I get, I like, yeah, that's a fair take. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you giving it? Oh, it's a solid three out of five. You? Oh, uh, it's a, it's a, probably a two, I'd say. I mean, there's the stuff that's interesting in it. Um, and I really like Zoe Dutch. I mean, you're right. She is. Adorable. I would I would say this movie is worth watching just because Zoe Dutch and Mia Isaac are both great in it. When, yes, um, when they when they get into their relationship, it's that's I, I absolutely agree. Mia Isaac is phenomenal in this. And also, uh, you know, as much as he's a terrible, like you'd never want to meet this person in real life, um, I think Dylan O'Brien was kind of great in it as well. And that's the second yeah. time he's put in a great performance this year that we've watched. So, oh, what was uh, the other one? He was the 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 gangster's son in the outfit earlier this year. No, was that him? Yeah. Huh. yeah he's the guy, he's the okay. guy who ends up in the in the chest in uh, in the outfit. Huh. <clears throat> so yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's impressive then because he is impressively awful in this film. Not exactly. <laughs> His character is an awful human being. Yeah, I, I find Dylan O'Brien to actually be a fairly reliable presence in films, even in films that I don't necessarily like. Um, but yeah, I thought he was... Uh, the two things I've seen him in this year, in, in this year, uh, I have enjoyed him in quite a lot. And uh, I know he's done stuff in between, but the la- these two, the last three things I've seen him in, including these two, I've enjoyed him in very much. Mm. Um even um, to be fair again i think i missed a movie or two in there but he was in a movie a year or two ago called love and monsters on netflix which i enjoyed a lot right yeah i still haven't seen that yeah i i watched the first 10 minutes of that and not anymore um i would personally very much like to see a movie with karen sony in it who i think is a really good actor um as not the comedy Indian guy who says the wrong thing. Because he is, in this movie, he is his uh, Deadpool character, which is the slightly awkward uh, Indian guy. And it was the same character in this movie. That's the same purpose uh, was to be the person. And the, the joke is nobody gets his name right and nobody knows who he is. And he's really awkward. I, I'd like to see him do something else than that character. Yeah, I wouldn't go quite that far, but you're right that he's kind of typecast. If you want to see, interestingly, if you'd like to see a movie in which he is a more authentic and fully rounded character, you should look up a movie that came out uh, last year called Seven Days, which was a uh, pandemic, uh, a pandemic shot and influenced rom com, uh, which I enjoyed a lot. Cool. Okay. I will. Yeah. Uh, not to not to not to co-opt the po- the podcast, but the whole premise is that like he goes on a first date with a woman, uh, and then the pandemic happens and they're stuck together for a week. <laughs> oh, is he in that? Oh, okay. uh, and it's uh, it's quite and like they're set up by their parents. They're both Indian American, 
and she's presented as being like quite prim and proper and then it turns out she's very much not that and that's where the hilarity comes from sorry a wasp has just come in my room <laughs> <laughs> ah! um, um, yes he's also in Brooklyn Nine-Nine what kind of characters does he play in that uh no i think it's only in an episode or something i don't remember him being yeah okay i will definitely watch seven days because that has always intrigued me that movie so i will find that out yeah good good awesome uh well i think we're gonna wrap it up there because we both have lives to lead and we've finished talking about our movies so uh to answer (laughs) your question no i don't know what we're talking about next week although i have a fairly (laughs) strong idea so let's uh we'll just table that for now um Thank you to everyone who's listening uh, for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, uh, please consider subscribing or giving us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you would like to support us a little more directly, we, of course, have a Patreon, uh, which you will find linked in the show notes. Um, we produce the show here on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations in Vancouver, BC. I have been Matthew. He has been Simon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.